0: It's Kristen. Thank you for tuning in to Rational in Portland. This episode is really near and dear to my heart because it's with my friend, Dr. Mary Constantino, who is an interventional radiologist, and she was recently beaten by a stranger out of absolutely nowhere. The audio may be a little inconsistent because I thought it was just really important to get this story out there as soon as possible. And to make people aware that this can, a beating, can happen to anybody in Portland, in any place. So she was in the Goose Hollow neighborhood, which is a very nice neighborhood in southwest Portland. And, you know, this kind of thing you wouldn't think would happen there. Mary is very athletic she is tall, she is thin, she is muscled, she's accomplished. She is an interventional radiologist that went to medical school at UCLA. She did an internship at Stanford's Department of Internal Medicine, which prepared her for a diagnostic radiology residency at OHSU. She did her interventional radiology fellowship at Georgetown. So, she's very sophisticated. She has lived all over the world. She has traveled all over the world. She has always resided in big cities. She has lived for the last 20 years in the city of Portland. And she considers this her home. And I, you know, I, don't, I don't know how much longer she'll consider it her home. And if I were her, I don't know that I would either. When this episode goes up, I have been given her permission to also publish the photos of her uh, that were taken after she was beaten, and I really appreciate her bravery and her vulnerability in allowing me to do that. And I'm just I'm getting choked up talking about it because she's such a good friend of mine, and I when she sent us these photos, it really scared me and it scared me for her. She's okay. She's okay, but this came out of nowhere. This isn't something where a self-defense class is gonna help you. She was with a male who's very tall. Um, It wasn't very late at night. I think she'll tell you it was 10 o'clock. She's gonna give you the details. So I interviewed her just days after this happened over Zoom after she got done with some of her surgical procedures, a pretty long day at work. And that's just the kind of woman that Mary is. She puts one foot in front of the other and she she goes to work after something like this happened because it didn't impair her mentally, even though physically, I'm sure these days are very taxing on her. Mary has been working with the homeless for as long as I can remember. She is on the board of directors of Rose Haven. She's also their treasurer. If you're not from Portland, Rose Haven is a day shelter for women and children in downtown Portland. She also has two teenage sons. One is Haitian. She has black brothers. She will explain to you that she is your typical urbanite liberal Portlander. And by liberal, I don't even mean classically liberal. I mean Left, left-leaning liberal Portlander. And I think she's understandably really scared to live in this city now. And I'm scared for her and I'm scared for uh, really everybody. And, and, and as we'll talk about in the episode, I'm also scared for the people on the street that witness things like this every day, that live on the street. And I think that that kind of trauma and living within that trauma, and of course these people are all going through their own trauma. This is end-stage drug addiction. It is psychosis, severe, severe, severe mental illness. These are the people living on the streets of Portland. And the kinds of things they're seeing every day are far worse than what Mary experienced. And I can't imagine what that does to them and how that probably increases their probability themselves to be violent. Um, this has to stop. We, we've got to figure out how to get civil commitments in place, how to get morale back for our police force, so that we can ramp up our our police, how to support our police and our firefighters and our first responders, how to fund detox and rehab and expand that and knock it off with the boofing materials. I'm talking to you, Jessica Vega-Peterson, and the foil and the straws. And that is also for all of the commissioners sitting on Multnomah County Board right now, except for Sharon Myron and Julie Brim Edwards, who are the only ones that seem to be interested in any kind of recovery based program from drugs and also in any kind of mental health treatment that doesn't involve things like the Behavioral Health Resource Center that had to shut down because they're not, the, the reality is, they're not equipped to deal with the kinds of people that are living in the severe slash violent slash unpredictable mental illness, psychosis style. They're living with those kind of illnesses. They're just not equipped. They're not equipped to deal with that. In fact, they closed for a while. And also because the staff was allegedly like misbehaving and having sex in the, upstairs bedrooms and things. Anyway, this is the kind of thing that's, this is the kind of chicanery going on around here and we can't seem to get our arms around it. This is another reason to vote for Nathan Vasquez for DA. Knock it off with this decarcer, focus on the, focusing on the, the perpetrator and this decarceration culture. I get it. Look, if you're in, if you're in jail or prison, God forbid for selling marijuana, it particularly if you're of, of, a minority race. Yeah. Decarceration. But that's not what's going on in Multnomah County. And and if you want to know what's going on in Multnomah County, listen to Nathan Vasquez's episode. Listen to Kevin Barton's episode. He's the DA of Washington County, and he'll explain why he does things very differently and why he focuses on the safety of his citizens and true rehabilitation of the offender to the extent they can be rehabilitated and if they have served their time. Kevin also employs mental health courts and drug courts in Washington County. And unlike with our current district attorney in Multnomah County, Kevin's drug courts do not extend to the most serious of crimes because those are people, as Kevin will explain to you, that need to be incapacitated. And, and, and need to be restrained so that they are no longer terrorizing and really, really hurting the community for Measure 11 crimes, which are the worst of the worst. So I want to let Mary tell her story and speak for herself, but I, I just wanted to give you a little bit of context because Mary and I just sort of leap right into this. So I'm going to let her talk and, and tell her story, please, please. Do what you can to get a change of leadership in this county, in this city, write to your legislators, tell them that people in Portland, including the people that are living on the street, are not safe, and that it's time, this is an emergency, we need to fix this now. The other thing that I just want to be clear about is in this episode, I talked to Mary about how when we have a friend group and I mean, she and I, of course, are friends individually as well, but we, we have a friend group that gets together regularly and we talk about how we need to accommodate Mary in particular, not get together in Multnomah County. And I want to be clear that I, I have always been committed to the city of Portland. I have always been committed to rebuilding Multnomah County. Um, we're on our two year anniversary of this podcast. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. Thank you, uh, coin for naming it. Um, one of the best podcasts listed as number one for the best podcast to listen to in 2023. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all the friends that I've made along the way, because you're some of my best friends now. So thank you so much for listening and, and to my regular listeners who I message with at least monthly, sometimes weekly. Thank you. Here's what I want to say. Um, I, I remain committed to those things, but I, I am also aware that some, I, or someone in in my family, like my children who are, um, not teenage under teenage years will probably be hurt at some point. And, I now know about five people who have been really, really hurt. One was in the ICU for days, women, all women, relatively young, not elderly uh, women. And Mary's the closest to me. And I think as it gets closer and closer, I think it's inevitable that it will be somebody else in my friend group and that's very scary to me. Um, but also just for Mary and for her mental health, I, you'll hear me in this episode say, I don't think that our friend group can be gathering in Multnomah County anymore. I, it's not, if, if I had just been beaten, um, on the streets of Portland and, and having to walk through these open air drug markets and insane asylums to get where I need to go consistently, I I wouldn't be doing well. It would be very, very scary and difficult for me to heal mentally from the beating. And I think that's true for Mary. And I think it's insensitive for us to, you'll hear me talk about how there was an event in Multnomah County and I should have moved it. And that was insensitive of me. I was so caught up in what had actually happened to her that I wasn't thinking about what should come next. And I apologize to her for that you'll hear me, you'll, you'll hear that in this episode. I think it, I still think it's very important to be downtown to support the symphony, to support my beloved art museum. Um, we have a new symphony director, um, Scott Showalter will be around for a bit for the transition. If you have not heard that episode yet, please listen to Scott Showalter and Brian Frizo's episode. Uh, Brian Frizo, it runs the art museum, the Portland art museum and, is just an absolutely fantastic guy who has really helped create a beautiful place in the city that we should all be proud of and that we should all be patronizing. And I think the issue is, can we do that? Can we do that safely? I think we need to continue to do it. As Jesse Burke says, the more people that are down in and out, about, out and about in the city, the better, because um, we can take our streets and our sidewalks back if we engage and we can support local businesses. On the other hand, when you have just had a very good friend who's been severely, severely hurt, it it doesn't make sense to bring her into that. So I'm not going to be doing that for the foreseeable future until and unless she says that's something she wants to do. Thank you for listening to this probably too long of an intro. I'm just. Still reeling from it. And I feel terrible for my friend, and I feel terrible for everybody that this has happened to because I know it's not just her. Anyway, here is my good friend, Dr. Mary Constantino.
1: And we were walking um, to the parking lot where I parked my car, and um, that was on, we were walking up Yam Hill on 17th and a guy came out from underneath the max station and threw a water bottle at me and it hit me in the head and knocked me out and I fell to the ground. And I honestly don't remember any, any of that. There was no noise. There was no yelling. There was no altercation. There was nothing. I was just walking down the street and having a conversation with the person I was with. And then I, next thing I know, I sort of came to and there's like blood dumping off my face. And so there was no indication that anything was going to happen. There was no loud noise. There was nothing I could avoid. I was not in a bad part of the neighborhood. I wasn't, I was walking on the sidewalk. I mean, there was nothing anyone can point to and say this was anything less than just a random act of violence um in a you know 10 30 at night on a friday um it wasn't really late there was not a lot of like you know i I wasn't walking into a place that you one might say well why would you go there um and the person i was with was six seven and so he, he turned and yelled at the perpetrator or whatever you want to call him and um that he he yelled, what the blank are you doing that for? Or you, why did the blank should you throw that or something like that? And sort of turned towards this man. And that caused the man to turn away from us and run around the corner. And that was the end of it. By the time I became, I regained consciousness. I couldn't tell what was going on. There was a little bit of um, activity above my head but it was minimal and I thought we were still sort of under attack and I somehow had the wherewithal to pull out my cell phone from my pocket and I couldn't see, I was bleeding. And I also, my glasses were like nowhere to be found. And I somehow managed to type in my passcode and dial nine one one. I don't know. It was a complete instinctual response. And I don't even, I don't remember reaching into my pocket to get my cell phone. I don't know how I knew where my cell phone was, I thought we were really still under attack because the voices, which in retrospect was probably his, him maybe yelling or him just talking to the security guard. But I was certain that whoever hit me was coming after him and I was about to go next. Like I I was not being assaulted right then because they were assaulting him. And I was, I was next in line. Um, And so I know when I called nine one, it was really for like, can somebody get here? Because I think this is getting going to get worse. Um, we did talk to the dispatch and I can't remember what I said, but I know they answered the phone. And then my, the guy I was with said that I had just been hit and I was bleeding. And I just asked him today how the phone call ended because I didn't know how the phone call ended. Um, And I guess how it ended was he said, you know, we'll we'll send somebody. Um, and then we sat there for about 20 minutes. And I sort of maybe being a physician, having worked in a lot of trauma areas and hospitals across the country, I sort of had the wherewithal to go through like a little checklist in my head of, you know, okay, active bleeding and what's hurting. And so I knew I was okay pretty quickly. I think a another person might not have. Like I knew I was bleeding from my mouth and I knew to bleed out, you know, not to like to bleed onto the ground. Um, and I wasn't sure about my eye or my head, um, nothing really hurt right in the moment. Um, but I, I kind of knew I could move my arms and I didn't have any stab wounds or I wasn't shot. Um, And I did that assessment really quickly. I think that was probably more for my training than what an average person might think because I did have a pretty significant amount of head trauma. Um, But, you know, and I I don't remember hearing any gunshot wounds or feeling any sharp stabs like a knife. And all that stuff happens generally very quickly. Um, But I guess it's probably felt... I feel like I was registering, am I bleeding from my abdomen and you know, all these things and none of that was happening. So then I just sort of leaned against the building and tried to control this bleeding that was really just coming from my mouth, which was actually just my lips completely cut open. I didn't lose any teeth. I didn't have any eyeball wounds. Um, And after sitting there for a, a little bit and kind of regaining some stability, we just went home and... I didn't go to the hospital. Um, you know, I think part of it maybe being a doctor, which some people find annoying about me that I, I just knew I would go there. I'd probably wait some time. Um, I would probably get a head CT. It would probably be normal. And then I would go home. And I just, at that point, really wanted to be home. Um, I did try to call a friend who was an attorney. I didn't know what to do about the police report issue. And I wasn't really thinking clearly. And so I was like looking for advice of, okay, what, what do I do? Which in retrospect makes me think I, I heard them say they were coming, but I never heard any sirens and nobody ever showed up. So then I was like, do I just, (laughs) what do I do now? I guess I just walk, walk home. And so I just walked back to the car and I of course, wasn't driving my, um, the person I was with and drove the car, drove me home. And then I stayed up to about one and just made sure, you know, I was talking and the headache didn't get worse. I mean, certain intracranial bleeds can take some time. I mean, there was a risk. There was intracranial bleed. I had a pretty significant contusion in my forehead. And, um, as time went on a little bit, I started to remember the impact. Like it felt really, really heavy, whatever it was it hit me, um, the person I was with had taken pictures of me on the ground and then the object, which was a water bottle. This is a metal, like a hydro, it wasn't a hydro floss, but it was that kind of water bottle. And I think I just got lucky that it hit me in a really vertical position rather than a like end on to my head or, you know, anywhere else. Um, so then once I got home, I was more focused on, I mean, was, you know, you're just shocked that this stuff happens and, I was, I think I had, you know, pretty significant concussion. So I'm not really thinking clearly, but I'm kind of putting my medical brain on of like, okay, my headache's not getting worse. This bleeding has stopped. I can see out of my eye. <laughs> um, and then around one, I just went to bed and um, iced, you know, I iced and took some ibuprofen. um, And then, you know, I didn't, the next day I was, I felt, very slow. And, you know, I had a whole weekend plan. So I canceled that, which is really a first for me. I not somebody to cancel things. And I, I, I can tolerate a lot of pain. I I just, I don't spend a lot of time complaining about things. I just carry on. So I just figured it was probably better. So I um, just laid low and my head sort of hurt now and then throughout the day, but I had a lot of, it, it took me a long time to start to piece this together. I'm still piecing it together. And um, I just found out from the person I was with where I was, cause I thought it was on 18th and salmon, but it was actually in Yam Hill and I, I didn't see him coming. Um, and he just came right out of, from underneath the Mac station. Um, and I don't know if he came off of a train or not. Um, I, th- I know that there were other people there because later the security guard said, Oh yeah, this other lady called nine one one. And I asked my friend about it and he said, there were other people um, like two or three, but he thought they got on the max station on the max train. And I asked him if a train went by and he said, he couldn't really remember if it went by before or after. So both of those stories, if this guy had come off the max, then the train would have already left the station by the time he hit me. If, he was just standing in the max, and I don't know, maybe he wasn't allowed to board or something, but some somebody saw this, and then they all disappeared, and whether or not a max took him away or not, I don't know, but if a max took him away, that means that the driver and everybody on the train would have seen this happen, or at least have seen me on the ground um, bleeding, so the security guard from the department Building across the street came over, and she was, of course, very nice, but she was young, and I, it didn't appear that there was any sort of trauma algorithm um, that security guards that are now kind of randomly posted everywhere and I think give people the sense of security. But what I learned from this was being in a having experience in like in trauma in the hospital, um, which in my time in LA has included LAPD, and my time in you know, Palo Alto is included, (laughs) East Palo Alto cops. I mean, the first responder mentality is so different than what these security guards are trained to do. And it was basically paper towels and sort of feeling bad for me. But there was no algorithm of, okay, there, there is an event that's happened or, and here's a walkie talkie that goes back to our employer who then triages to Portland police. So it did not appear there was any sort of training in that, almost like in medicine, if you just have someone fall down and nobody could know what to do about it. We have algorithms behind this, right? And, and I, I feel bad for all these security guards who are really untrained to deal with this. And what are security companies doing? I mean, this girl is a security guard in a place where I was assaulted. What's to say she's not next? And it also sounds like she behaved
0: as if this isn't the first time she's seen this. You know, it's just, she didn't call 911. She wasn't freaking out on any level. Nope. Just felt really bad for me
1: and brought paper towels.
0: I mean, yeah. no question about, hey, do you want me to call somebody? Or we have cameras or I got a description. Let me know if you want it. Right.
1: That's exactly, exactly what I was thinking that like afterwards it was, if this is truly a security guard, then like, yeah, I mean, get get everybody safe, to safety, alert 911, description, document description. You know, there's a lot of things that you want to do in that situation. Um, I had the sense that she was young and maybe,
0: you know, it was just- I mean, she didn't seem surprised, did she? She didn't seem like she just blew in from Malheur County or something and has never seen anything like this. Oh
1: no, that is a great point. No, she was not like oh my god, she was not hysterical. Yeah. And and yeah, it's a great I bet point. She I mean, sees stuff like this
0: all the time. Yeah. And probably. that's probably why she acted so yeah. bla- like like uh a bird pooped on towels. you. A bird pooped <laughs> on you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. Um yeah, and then so what else? I mean, the guy was, you know, I, I didn't remember him at all. The person I was with got a brief glance at it. When he turned around, he was, you know, five ten. he was white late twenties, early thirties. And he thought he was wearing like a jeans, a dark coat and a hat medium to thin build. Oh, and this was what happened. I knew I was forgetting some part of the story. Um, when he threw this thing at me, it hit me and I went down, my partner turned and yelled at him. He went away. And I guess he said he could, my, not my partner, the guy I was with, um, said it in kind of a threatening way. And he's tall. He said six, seven. And the guy said, she knows what she did. Something like that. Or, you know what she did, or I know what she did. Something. The perpetrator like said this. Uh-huh. Yeah. You heard it. that or did you learn that mm-hmm. later? I did not hear that. I didn't, I didn't, I was still you that from your friend. Yes. And he was still coming towards me, so he didn't. I, I what, think that my, stopped him. My friend being six seven and turning and yelling at him
0: aggressively, like what the f or something he, is what he you said,
1: said. What the f did you do that for? And I and he said he like turned very aggressively towards him, and that redirected him, and then he sort of ran around the corner and down the street. Which means if I had not had my friend there, I think that this could have also gotten a lot worse.
0: I think you would have kept going.
1: Yeah, I do too.
0: And I think people would have just driven on by the way that they did. Right. So that's another part
1: of it is I'm afraid we've gotten incredible, right? We've gotten in the place and the time and, and there was no, nobody came to help. You know, we're downtown at 1030. It's not like there were tons of people there, but nobody in the apartment buildings Thought anything of it, you know. The, I guess the lady across the street called nine one one, but nobody came over. There was nobody stopped to help. And you think about: had this been a child? Had it been a younger person? Maybe a smaller person? Maybe the thing hit me differently. Maybe I'm alone. You just, I mean, I, I have kind of no doubt that if I were alone and gotten hit, and what if that was it? You know, even if that was it, or had gotten hit and then further beaten up or stabbed or whatever else was going to happen next. And even if I was still alive, I just don't think anybody would have stopped to help me, even driving by, because we're so used to seeing people just lying on sidewalks. Yeah. And
0: and and being bloody. They're always oh yeah. bloody. Sometimes yeah. they're missing a limb, sometimes they're bleeding from the limb. Right. And the assumption would be just all some over town.
1: Of Karen that had my little overdose.
0: Right. Yeah. And so who's the lady across the street and how did you find out she called 911? The
1: security guard, I, there was some conversation about 911, and the security guard said the lady across the street called 911. And from best I can piece together, according to my friend, there were two or three people who were waiting for the max, but then they weren't, I don't remember them around at any other time.
0: Yeah. Nobody was, nobody, was coming up to you and saying, are you okay? And even the security guard, did the security guard ask if you were okay or did they just ask if you wanted a paper towel? I mean, she kind of stood there.
1: I mean, I agree with you. It seemed like it wasn't the first time she saw it, but- You think she'd say, are you okay? I i think she kind of just felt bad. Like, I wish I could do more, but you know, here's some paper towels. And I remember she was there for a little bit, but I don't remember her when we got up to walk away. But my I was- unconscious, my not for a God. long time, but so I was she like, she
0: didn't even stand there and wait for you to stand up. I don't know, but I don't remember her
1: ever in front of me. And I, I know I was like, my head was bent down. Cause I was really focused on that swallowing blood. Um, because I know from surgical instances that can make you vomit. And so I was really, I was very focused on trying to bleed out in my lip. I remember spitting out a piece of my lip and being like, okay, now I, I'm still kind of in that damage assessment phase. Um, but it's true that like, no, you know, nobody else came out. There was nobody who, I don't know, it just seems very strange. And I, I really do not think that had I been alone, I bet people would have just stepped right over me.
0: Yeah. Or gone through your pockets or sexually yeah. assaulted you. Yeah. And what was anybody, Some nobody's going to stop them. I think by now people are reading in the paper about how unpredictable these people are and how they're, how violent they are. And I don't, I just can't imagine a lot of people getting into the middle of that. And, and also probably just assuming you might be a drug addict. Right. I'm sure. And I, I am feel
1: very, very sure that if this had turned into a rape or really any rape that it would have just been allowed to happen. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't think it was like, okay, well, there's just a assault and some blood. Okay, wait, now we draw the line at rape. I just feel like everybody is like, you know, hands off, man, because perpetrators are crazy and you don't want to get involved. And, you know, we see so much of this stuff on the streets and people having sex, you know, on the park blocks and yeah. defecating poop, and walking yeah. around naked that now you have somebody walking around naked who's just been assaulted. And, you know, 10 years ago, that would have been an outcry for help. I just was driving by the tents the, tents the other day, getting onto the Morrison Bridge. And, you know, th- this young looking girl was sitting right there and she was clearly sitting there all day. And I'm like, yep, I just drove right by her. And who do I call? Who do I call to say, this does not look right? And she was, I mean, you know, she might have been. 16, 17, maybe she was 22, 23, but she looked very young and she was sitting outside and looked very dazed. You want to talk about what's sex trafficking? That to me, said it all over. Now, um, eight years ago when I was in, uh, I was in Beaverton at a nail outside of a nail salon. I wasn't going in. I was, I was going into the, another store, but, um, I saw a girl kind of walking up and down the the shopping area, and I just got some really weird spider sense about like this doesn't seem right. This girl's just kind of loitering. And I called the Beaver- Beaverton police and I said, I-, I feel like there's something amiss about this girl. And I'm sorry if I'm wrong. And they were extremely grateful that I called and came right away. And it turned out there was nothing going on. But I've seen, you know, I've, been, I've lived in LA, I've lived in DC, I've lived in San Francisco, I've lived in all these cities. I am. I've lived in Portland now for 20 years. I've lived downtown. You're a very sophisticated
0: person. You're a Stanford trained doctor. You're an interventional radiologist. I just think it's important that people understand that you're not like an unsophisticated hillbilly who's not used to a big city. I mean, that's ridiculous. And you've lived in Portland for a while. Yeah. 20 years. Yeah. I have, I
1: worked in a lot of County LA hospitals. I mean, I've always loved, kind of inner city hospitals. I've done a lot of trauma and and have learned over the years to identify and and really it was raised with if you if if you see something suspicious, you should call in the cops because they want to know and they need to be able to sniff these things out. And now I don't think we live like that anymore.
0: Not now in this county. Not, in this, not county. in this county. You also I think I also think it's important that you travel consistently all the time to big cities yep. and in fact I are to traveling Mexico to Cedars, City by myself right. You're traveling to Cedars, by myself. Sinai aren't you to Cedar's oh. uh in New York
1: yep going to New York I'm um, in April I'm going to believe it or not El Salvador for a week and this is all medical related and you know I I travel wisely I mean I I felt yeah. safe in Mexico City I mean granted I you know I was in my hotel room by you know dark I was a single woman traveling alone um I go to all these places
0: for medical, um, speaking engagements, but. And you're almost always alone. I want to emphasize that. And you're a sophisticated city person. You don't just hole up somewhere by yourself. You're energetic. You're athletic. You you're the, we have a friend group and that's how I learned about your battery over this friend group chat. And one of our friends was saying, she's the most athletic one out of our group. I mean, I guess one of us was going to get clobbered but I just thought probably yeah isn't going I mean to be that, is,
1: that is true I mean I, I do a fair amount of international travel and since I was 16 I left home at 16 I lived in Europe by myself for an entire year and Eurorailed at 17 I mean granted that was it was just in the middle of one war <laughs> not like the war we have going on here but it was back in 1990 so I traveled all through Europe. And, um, as a single 17 year old and never had an issue, I, you know, am pretty wise that way, but I still am adventurous and I still go out and just do it wisely. And I did, I played college sports. I work out regularly. Um, I, if, if this had been a foot race, not with somebody on drugs or mental illness, but if this is just a regular foot race, I think I, I could have done something a little different. You know, I, I am like very physically active and there's not, I mean, you are, yeah. yeah. And I, I lift weights, you know, like I'm not somebody who, this wasn't like a struggle. And only if I had only been a little more fit, I would have gotten away from it. The crazy thing about this is there was no warning. It came yeah. out of the blue. It was, so
0: it's not like, oh, I'm going to take a self-defense class and that won't happen to me. No, you were, you, this happened from across the street. A, yes. a metal water bottle thrown at your face and he happened to hit you. And your guy was walking on the outside, is my understanding, closest to the street. So you just happened to be, it was like the worst stars aligning ever. You just happened to be one step ahead of him and it hit you. Yeah, yeah. and he yelled as if the person I was with and
1: he and I were talking about it, he yelled as if he was it was targeted at me at some woman, right? There was a there was a woman in his mind that had deserved this. Um
0: Wait, and what was he
1: yelling? Why do you say well, that? Because afterwards he said she knows what she did. Mm-hmm. And and I and he was still coming towards me. Or at least us, but I feel like yeah. kind of mean. Um and yeah, I think he was about 15 feet away. Um, but I think it is really important what you said. There is no self-defense course, there's no you know, if you get emails, oh, be alert around your surroundings, you know, that's, that's not this. It's not like, you know? and
0: it's not like you're not careful. You are careful. You yeah. were not alone. It wasn't one in the morning. You weren't in a known area that's consistently filled with crime, like Chinatown. You were in really in, I think Goose hollow goose hollow. Really? Right. I mean, it was right by PGE. It's, it's an not area even downtown. Been... It's the, it's a goose hollow neighborhood.
1: Yeah, and I walk. I mean, I've been accused of walking too fast, as you know, from our um, friend who likes to imitate me. You do walk fast. You do walk (laughs) fast,
0: and that's the other thing. You walk very. You're not a slow moving person. No, you're a thin, athletic, tall person. You're not. You don't look. You look like somebody who could handle themselves. Yeah, and I was walking the other day, right
1: in in Northwest, and one of the security guards at PGA Park, I think it was before a Thorns game, said it's so nice to see somebody walk with such determination. I mean, I walk,
0: yeah, I kind of walk like doctor
1: hospital walk. Like I'm, I'm walking to get to a place and I think that's why I, I don't get messed with a whole lot. Like I I'm focused on getting where I need to go. I'm not a stroller, not a lawyer. You know, I usually walk in with some sort of determination to get somewhere. So, you know, you can say, well, you shouldn't have just been hanging out. I mean, I, I kind of walk run. I mean, we're, we're moving from point A to point B. This is a completely random act, and I am convinced now it can happen to anybody um, at any time. And had this been a child, I, I think that death is a likely possibility, or, or at least probable, not, not greater than 50%, but maybe um, had this been a child, a teenager. I'm also really afraid that this ha- You know, this is right near Lincoln. If this had been a teenager, Lincoln High I, mean, School, I have two yeah. teenage sons. They're out till his curfew is midnight and he thinks I'm horrible for making him come home so early. So I know these teenagers are out late at night. Um, now I'm like, you know, I make you come home at midnight, but I guess this can happen at any time. And I don't think anybody, I think I have a 15, a six, a 15 and 18 year old. I can imagine this happening to my tall 15 year old and nobody even stopping because he looks like a thin 21 year old and he's 15. So we, you know, the assumption is he moved here. He's a drug addict. He moved here. And you know, what, how did he get here? And in, in reality, he's been injured or, you know, assaulted in some way. So I I realize that our assumptions are so strong right now that I'm actually now very worried about my family and my friends. I mean, I worry about you guys, entirely. And I am not a worrier and I'm not an overreactor. I am a calm as a cucumber in a trauma situation. Um, there's not a lot I haven't seen. Um, but I'm glad it happened to me and not one of you guys.
0: Well, our friend group is traveled as well. And we enjoy walking around the city. We we've always walked around Portland for years. Most of us have same lived here for 20 years or so and are just used to traversing the city and walking around one of the friends in our friend group uses only public transit so i know we're particularly concerned about her um i mean i think we're concerned about all of us and i felt so terrible because the other night one of our friend's birthdays was on we had a restaurant reservation on southeast grand and i just didn't think about until I was parking the car and I was watching somebody actively break into another car in front of me, as I was parking, realized I might want to find another spot I parked up against a line of uh, guys smoking off foil um, because it was really, it was the only spot and they were doing it up and down the entire street. And there was human poop that I walked past. I think I sent that gem of a photo to our group. Um, But I, I was realizing as I was parking that this was very insensitive. And I apologize. I realized uh I should have changed that reservation. I-, I was so caught up in the fact that it had happened to you. I didn't think about what it would feel like for you to be in it- it's like a I unless you live here or you've seen it or you've maneuvered around it, you can't explain it. It's like a video game, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's like maneuvering around. And you're film. so
1: nice. I you're you're like the best gal in this little group. You plan all the events and I you're so nice to even say that. But well, this yeah, it is. Thing. I mean, you guys are living and working and breathing downtown and it is it's until it is it, it is like
0: it's like what Gotham. It man. It's like? like Gotham. What What's do that? you feel like cuz you had recently, you had just been battered. Yeah. And you have to traverse southeast grand where it is the worst area. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's one of the worst stretches in portland and so you're 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 walking in a way such that you are and i'm if people can't see me on camera i am hunched up i'm i'm hunching up my shoulders you want to look invisible and you're walking right. in a way so that you're avoiding the poop you're avoiding the the yeah. drug paraphernalia you're avoiding bodies um, somebody, one of our friends said she could have walked past it in a body. Who knows? I mean, this yeah. happens every day, but it was on the street. And how did that feel for you? Because I hadn't just been beaten up and it was scary as hell.
1: Yeah. That's been, I think one of the most surprising things I'm still f- trying to figure out. Um, so this happened on Friday. So we're 40, thirty, three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, three days, two and a half days out. I, it took me until I'm still kind of piecing it together. Like I haven't even filed the police report yet. Um, and I need to do that. Uh, but the next day I was standing on the sidewalk with the same friend and I laid low, but we went to pick up some Thai food and I was standing on the sidewalk while we were doing that. And a person came walked just on the sidewalk right behind me. I did not hear him come up behind me, but I saw him then pass in front of me. And I, jumped and I had this panic. Um and then later we were sitting in my backyard, my very peaceful backyard, and some bug dropped on my head and I had another panic. <laughs> and then when I I mean you're you were so nice to even think about that. But yeah, when I went to pull in, I parked the car and a bicycle went by me on the sidewalk and I had another panic. Now I am a very stoic person. I do not get easily upset. I am I've been accused of having like no emotions. I mean, to do my job, we can compartmentalize. We yeah,
0: you're accused of not to... by our friend group. I mean, all of us. The joke is like you don't have a pulse. You yes, you have. You are you're, you're a robot. You're yes. You operate without. You, yeah, we see things forward.
1: and. Yeah, you we have to. I mean, Nothing that's going to happen, and somebody's got to dive in there and take care of it. I am. I did not anticipate this reaction that I'm having. Um, and just today coming to work, you know, I, I decided to come to work because, um, because I have patients and they still need services. And the reality is we have a lack of doctors now in Oregon and people need things and they have health issues. And so I didn't want to disappoint the patients and I I have a lighter schedule, but working has been, it's heart of my, I got headaches. I mean, things that I, I didn't have. And I, I have a suspicion. I mean, we don't know it's going to play out how it plays out, but I have a suspicion that this contusion process is going to be, um, lengthy. Um, and I think that I can see myself really not wanting to go out a lot. Like I'm very aware of that. I, and I'm going to just have to do it. Um, and I don't
0: know that you are, what we should have done is just plan the evening in Clackamas or Washington County is what we should have done. And it just, you know, know, I've had
1: friends tell me who leave. They're like, you know, just driving around, even nothing happened to them, driving around and just seeing all this despair all the time. Yeah, Especially for people who may run a little depressed or run a little anxious. You know, we know the environment that one is in. I mean, for God's sake, we have labor and delivery units with beautiful birthing areas. We have cancer wards with beautiful birthing areas. We know environment counts how do you feel when you're out how do you what's it like yet we've let our streets go to this quality so we know this is not good for people for it's not i mean when you have random acts of physical assault that can happen at any time to anyone you are now not safe in this city you're you are not protecting the safety of our citizens what are we protecting now is what I need to know. Like, are we protecting mental health? And is, and what does that mean that we no, just say, we're not we protecting can't Put no. you in a facility. We can't lock you up. You know, like, it's all so, about their liberty. That's right. It's about their right. liberty. So I assault somebody. And now if I, I have learned, I'm using this language now I'm an under player, but now I'm saying, okay, you assault with a deadly weapon. Cause I do believe that this could have been deadly or if it had been a brick or, you know, even if it had been a knife. he had a knife and he would have stabbed me in the colon and I would have had a cut down and an ostomy and all these things, what would have happened to him? He would have run away. Nobody would even know about it. Maybe some police report would somebody, do I think at all somebody would track down this person? And you think about the consequence to the person who gets assaulted. I mean, you do, I know my physical stuff will heal. Um, I do worry about a little PTSD anxiety. Today has been kind of emotional for me. I've had this wave. I've had to tell the story now with My staff, my staff is kind of freaked out. They've never seen me like this. My family is freaked out. My family's in California. They're losing their minds over this. Um, More and more people are hearing about it. I'm getting a lot of like reach out and people are scared and they're like, oh my God, what's happening? And what I'm universally hearing is I'm not surprised. This was, this is a dangerous place now. And these are from other doctors, well-traveled people, city people. And I don't hear anybody saying, wait, what? <laughs> no way. So we're protecting the liberty of people who are now assaulting just about anybody over a tax paying citizen who's trying to contribute. I mean, look, I showed up today to take care of our, our citizens, you know, of, your of organ practice. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're just going to let people get assaulted until what? I don't know. What is the end point of this? Where is I mean, we think about this in medicine. If you do X, then Y, and what is the end point of this? What has to happen if they had
0: arrested this guy? I mean, the police will tell you they don't know if they would have held him. They don't even know if the sheriff would have considered it a bookable offense to bring him into the jail. I mean, you know, it depends on criminal history. It depends on all sorts of things. There's, they see what's called a release officer, no joke. Uh, it's one of the first things they do when they're processing somebody. And who knows, maybe they'd be back out in five minutes anyway. I mean, that's part of what's so incredible about and why Multnomah is that? County.
1: Do we not have, if you take somebody who is high on drugs and does this, and let's say you arrest them, why don't you, Why? why can't we, lock people up, so to speak? Like, is there, or do we have a shortage of jail space? Do we have a system that just says, hey, man, this isn't a big deal?
0: Uh, it's the latter. Um, we don't have a shortage of jail space, but we ha- we are not using all our beds on purpose. And there are areas of the jail that are not being used. So Nathan Vasquez, who's running for DA in Multnomah County, talked about that when he came on the show and said there are Portions of the jail that we've just decided in Multnomah County, we're not gonna use. And I think, um, you know, our current DA, Mike Schmidt, would say something like, This person who attacked, yes, attacked you, but is also is one of our most vulnerable citizens and is probably going through something of his own and something happened to him when he was younger, and we don't really know. Uh, if if we don't know his record, we don't know who this person is. We don't know if he will attack somebody again. Um, you were hit, but you didn't go to the hospital, you know? Um, I I mean, I think that he would look at, he would look at things like that and he would say, you know, really what this person needs is some restorative justice. And he should sit down with you and and hear about your injuries. And um, I mean, I think those are the kind of things our current DA is focused on. And then if you, by contrast, if you listen to the Kevin Barton episode, the DA in Washington County, he is about safety. He is about protecting his citizens, including the people on the street, because you can imagine what the person who hit you with the water bottle probably sees every day. That person probably sees what happened to you times 50 every day, rapes, probably murders, stabbings, probably, he probably sees all sorts of stuff every single night. And I just think violence begets violence. It's not just not good for just the regular citizens that are trying to get to work and raise kids and stuff. It's not good for the people that are on the streets that are probably watching this 24 seven in a loop in their head.
1: Yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm on the board of Rose Haven and right. we're Which is so,
0: that is so important. So tell us I what know. Rose Haven is and, yeah. and why that fits into this piece. Well, full circle, I guess.
1: Right. I mean, the, the universe <laughs> maybe had a reason. Um, I'm on the board of Rose Haven. It's a day shelter for women, children, anybody who identifies as a woman and it's a day shelter because the people who, the guests that we serve are, um, female and usually have experienced quite a significant amount of trauma and the streets are just not a place you can be without having, if you are, for example, if I'm living on the streets, this guy knows who I am. What's to prevent me, him from coming after me again, right? So assault, um, rape, abuse, um, just, I mean, you name it and women on the street don't really have a place to go. And so, what Rose Haven is, is a day shelter exclusively for women so that um, I would say, you know, the male kind of perpetrator can't, <laughs> can't hurt them when they're inside our facility. And we provide a lot of services. We are making good progress in this with social work, mental health. Um, but now we have challenges because. What's happening around our building, Um, there is actually an ordinance and I don't, you're the attorney, so you'll figure it out a lot faster than I will, but we just reviewed this at the board meeting. There's an ordinance that says any person within 200 feet of your building, if they try to enter the building becomes the responsibility of the organization. So in this instance, I mean, I walked out of um, Driftwood room. If this had happened within 200 feet, Driftwood Room would be responsible. Okay, so now are you saying that the businesses are responsible for every person having a psychotic break or every addict within 200 feet of their building? Well, so I know
0: a lot of them are hiring security, and they're getting flack for it. Like a lot of them are getting flack for it in the media. Like, oh, everybody's hiring private security. It's turning into, you know, it's turning into South America now because they're all hiring. Well. Yeah. I mean, if that's the law, and I don't yeah. know, I haven't read the statute and I don't. Um, I might
1: hire private security next time I go downtown. Right. I think I, we should hire a bodyguard. Well, our friend group should have, body, should have a bodyguard. <laughs> we should. Right. I just feel like, you know, why not? We can all pull our money and, um, you know, just, although I don't know that a bodyguard would have helped here either. It was so random. So yeah, Rose Haven is a day shelter. And I've never understood that more than this, where this, this violence is so random and so like happens so often. And you're absolutely right. I think for every one of me, there's, I don't know the statistics, but it's probably something's happening every hour or less out there. And we just have allowed this to happen. I mean, I I think back to when we lived right near Chapman and
0: pot just became legal and we'd take our little kids down to Chapman and everybody's That's Chapman Elementary in um, Northwest Northwest, Portland, which at the time, that you're talking about, given your kids ages, that would, that was the premier neighborhood to live in. Yeah. Ten One of the nicest areas in the entire city. Yeah. And you know, it was a neighborhood,
1: neighborhood school, neighborhood park. And, and then the pot started coming, you know, you'd see people smoking pot on the school grounds and then you'd see the high schoolers with their bongs and, and just way out in the open. And I was thinking about this just today. It just became widely acceptable to smoke pot anywhere at any time. I think back to when we were raised. I can't imagine somebody smoking a bong in an elementary school. I mean, everybody was doing that, um was doing it, you know, secretly in their house, but this is just very acceptable like, oh, there are all these teenagers and I was in that space as a parent trying to then navigate and I'm sure you, I mean, your kids know a thing or two about fentanyl and <laughs> Identifying all the smells and of it all. Um, and I think we didn't, we just let all this stuff happen. We let things kind of slide and then we defunded the police. I, you know, I, I never really, I mean, you guys are the lawyers. I'm, our friend group is all lawyers and then me. And, you, and I think guys, it's important
0: to say you have a black son.
1: Yes, so, I have a black so son. So it's
0: not like issues in regard to black people don't affect you. Oh, no. A, and you have no. black black brothers,
1: I think. I have a black brother, and I have, I have a disabled sister. I have a black brother who grew up in, in a white area, and now I have a black son um, who, you know, would... He's not light-skinned black. He's Haitian, so he's dark-skinned, and he drives, and he's 18, and these kids are out and about, and yes, I do worry about that. I mean, when you raise black children, it's just different than raising white children. There's some basics that you just do differently I think and there's a lot of criticism from black communities saying white people shouldn't raise black kids but you know it is what it is he's my child and um I think I do a decent job at, at and we have many mother. conversations you're black you can't be doing this and I have a white child and I'm like unfortunately you get to get away with this a little more and so um and I am very pro policeman I always have been I don't know if that's my medical training I've seen I see policemen only in the good like the, the, these first responders, by the time when people have trauma, shootings, um, beatings, stabbings, whatever, when they come into a hospital, they're already contained. So we're very safe. So I was in LA, you know, we like gang violence. When we come into the hospital, we had LAPD in the hospital and we were safe. We could take care of patients. We were protected by the hospital doors and we were protected by the LAPD in there very different than these first responders, the firemen, the policemen who are going out into whatever situation. And this was made clear last week when a police officer going to serve a um, eviction was shot in the head. This was also seen last week when there was a person at the Good Sam Labor and Delivery who shot and killed um, a security guard in the hospital. Now I have heard reports and I, this is not confirmed, but that this person was allowed to, uh, threaten the staff for days. So this idea that everybody gets to act how they want, because we want to be very careful with people's emotions is totally BS. If my black son is threatening someone, someone needs to kick him out. Of wherever he is and say you are not welcome back here accountability of how you behave is is huge and, it, and why are we trying to diffuse a situation when someone is threatening other people in a hospital i take particular concern for that again because of my background i've seen this all happen this is happening more and more and more here um and you know your first your cop who just goes to serve an eviction and you get shot you're sitting on labor delivery, you get shot. Where are we safe now? Hospitals used to
0: be safe places. It's schools. No, they're shooting, they're shooting at schools, Cleveland, Franklin. I mean, the Jefferson, yeah. um, dip, 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 teenagers on teenagers. Yeah. right. And there's no, the and so,
1: I mean, I, if I, if I was on the medical staff and I was doing a review of this, I would I mean we do this in in medicine, you know, quality assurance, you want to make sure the things you're doing work, you want to make sure you, we have a lot of accountability.
0: Um the issue is we just don't have many police anymore. Um you know, morale is garbage, most have left, uh quit, retired, etc. We have one of the sh- the smallest police forces in the country and we've hired new police, but we cannot get them through training because we close training for Two years, and summertime is when a lot of officers take vacation. They have vacation time too, just like we do. And nights are not the they're not the shift that everybody signs up for. And so, if you're on central nights, there's there are usually not that many. And central precinct is over 40 square miles. So yes, it goes from the West Hills all the way to Caesar Chavez. So that includes downtown, old town. Uh, China, China, Old Town, Chinatown, East Moreland, um, like you said, the West Hills. So it would include where you were. It would include Goose Hollow. It would include Uptown. It would include uh, Inner Southeast. It would include uh, Laurelhurst. It would include. I mean, it goes all the way to Caesar Chavez, and then East Precinct starts. So sometimes they will bring in officers from East Precinct because. You know, central is just so um, understaffed, but I I am sure that what happened I I don't think it was because the police saw the call come in and just decided to ignore it. I'm sure what happened no. is they were all at some shooting somewhere yeah. or something was going down somewhere when that call came in and they just couldn't get somebody out in time.
1: And and this is what happens when you're in a triage situation. This is what happened That's during right. COVID when they had to decide, hey, who gets the vent, who doesn't. They did the right thing. I'm not gonna die of these wounds. I'm okay. Like do not stop with me if you've got something else. I mean, I I would never hold the cops accountable for this. I mean, the police officers, I I cannot imagine the work that these four people were doing on that night. And I would absolutely hold accountable the people, whoever it was who decided defunding the police in this state when we're also legalizing. <laughs> drugs. I yeah, mean, that would I built city
0: council at that time, led by Joanne Hardesty, who thankfully is no longer on city council, but some of the people who voted for that are, I mean, Ted Wheeler's our mayor, you know, he voted to do this. Not twice, thankfully, she wanted a second round, but the first time, yeah, that 27 million bucks that they were defunded by that, he voted for that. That's our mayor.
1: And where, like, the whole where thing was is that ridiculous. supposed to go? Where was that? What? Why, what was the thought back then that what, why you defund the police? What was that that maybe like we needed more street street response teams? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and some of it goes to a police accountability commission that is staffed by people who are quote unquote over policed, who identify right. as over policed.
1: Right. And so then so, so then what happens them. is nobody wants to yeah. do anything. And and this is this is the same thing with complex patients. When you have too many lawsuits, too many people pointing fingers, you say, you know what? it's not worth the risk to my malpractice, my everything to get involved in you. Now, I I don't do that, but you know, you have, this is what happens if you get the, the watchdogs and they're
0: going to point fingers. I mean, yeah, this is why uh, no one wants to work here. Yeah. This is why we have to do huge signing bonuses. I mean, nobody wants to be a police officer here. We're a joke. We're international news. Yeah. Not for well, anything good. You know, we have the
1: same shortage in medicine with anesthesiologists and we've lost our anesthesiologists, 40% of them in this town in the last year, which means you're not getting elective surgery, which means it doesn't matter. Had I, you know, I, I've had a patient today who has a um, foot wound and she said, you know, it's been really hard to get service. Like she's been bouncing back and forth between doctors and should she have just gone to the ER? And I said, no, because you would have just been turned away because there's no there's no E <laughs> and there's no emergency in what you have. It's it's urgent and it hurts to you. It hurts. So like for me, like this hurts. Would I like to see a doctor? Yeah. What for? I mean, I can handle it. If I'm not a doctor, I would certainly think I would need to see a doctor. I have head pain. I've got face pain. Um, this toe hurts her, but it's not emergent. She would have been absolutely turned away from the ER she would have been admit, she would have sat there for a long time and then they would have you know basically sent her home we have no anesthesiologists in this town there's not a national shortage of anesthesiologists just nobody wants to move here when you don't have anesthesiologists you don't have surgery when you don't have surgery because you don't have surgery slots you don't have surgeons who stay here because your job is linked to the surgeries you do like an RVU based model, which now most of these hospitals, most people have your surgeons in hospitals are not just salaried people who are sitting around. They are a lot of times now linked to productivity, which doesn't mean they're going to do. And, and the hospitals have wanted this, right? Like everybody wants to link. If, if you don't work harder, you don't get paid. Yeah. That's what they've done. And that's yeah, why
0: everybody in general practice, everybody's going to only get to spend like three seconds with you because they got to get plowed through all these patients.
1: And, and even worse when they're, um, run by corporate medicine, because corporate medicine now says we are private equity involved and you need to, you need to make us some money, which means you need to see patients quickly. And this is why you have physician burnout and no physicians want to work anymore. So you're getting it from all angles, but no anesthesiologists want to work here. That was the first group that left. Providence and Legacy just terminated their contract with Organ Anesthesiology Group and they're bringing in some group. I don't know who it's going to be, but um, one of them is bringing in like Summit something and there'll probably be nurse anesthetists who are going to be your anesthesiologist. And now what surgeons want to work with nurse anesthetists, not in colonoscopies or routine stuff, that's fine, but when you have your heart transplant, when you have your kidney transplant, when you have your major right. trauma and you're losing blood surgery, right? Yeah. And so now there's n- nobody here should be surprised. So you want to talk about effects of these kinds of things. If I had been married, if I was a man married to a woman with children and this happened to my wife, we would be gone. Cause I, cause I would be at work all day and I would want to know that my wife was in a safe place.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel the same way. I feel the same. And I, and I feel that way just as your friend. I mean, I, I fear for you. I don't think we should do events in Multnomah County anymore. I just, I don't. And I well, think that would be good for about your mental that. health anyway and our safety. Like, let's just not do it. It's not worth it. What's
1: so insane about that is this friend group is like the, a massive supporter of the symphony, massive supporter of the arts. I have seen one of our friends and you included advocating for we have to get downtown. We have to keep the restaurants open. We have to keep the arts open. There is not a stronger supporter supporting group of being downtown and keeping the restaurants alive. All
0: of our meetups have been downtown um, in various places. We've, Trying to build back the city, trying to support it, trying to support small business owners, trying to support these establishments, trying to bring some safety and vibrancy back. Because the more Portlanders come out, Jesse Burke said this. Scott Showalter said that we've had many episodes like this on this podcast. The more people that come out, the safer it's going to be because it's going to be less of a Walking Dead atmosphere. And it's, but at some at some point, you know, when something like this happens to you or a loved one, um, people do pull back. Yep. understandably there's a yeah, of medical thing. dinners and, you know,
1: the, all these restaurants now are in Lake Oswego and I've been to them and I'm like, it's not the same. I like the downtown. I'm a big lover of the downtown of, I mean, Portland is our city, you know, Northwest. I, I just love Northwest. Um, and even though you have the same restaurants in Lake Oswego, I, it's not the same feel. And I've continued to just say, oh, we're not doing Lake Oswego. We got to get downtown and we have. We have dinners down there. We bring people, you know, all of our, all of our medical stuff, you know, we're trying to be in downtown, but now I can't go through this. And then the groups I run, you know, the conferences that I run say to people, Hey, come on downtown and park. Don't worry about this. You know, now I have an obligation to protect the people that I'm bringing together. And, it's, it was always kind of a hassle. And, you know, I've had people get their windows broken into after these
0: meetings and,
1: you and know, kind of have been
0: many times mine have been many times. Yeah. If you live in Portland, that's day rigor. Right. And I still, pers- I still persisted in the
1: downtown, but now I've, you know, and I think that there are, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but people, you have a responsibility to your employees and your staff to keep them safe. So yeah. How
0: that's do right. you have
1: a business downtown after you've just gone through this and say, you know, don't worry about it to the rest of your staff. Once you know that this can happen and it's happened to you, you do have an obligation, I think, to the people around you and the people you employ to keep them out of this circumstance.
0: Totally agree. So I know you're really busy and you've had a really long day of of surgeries and procedures and things. Is there anything you want people to know before we sign off here? Uh, Yeah, I think that the biggest
1: thing is, if it can happen to me, it is a random act. You will not see this coming. You'll be walking, and then you'll be on the ground bleeding. And we need to know that it, it happens like that. There's no be careful of your surroundings or don't walk down this street. Not, we're not at the point where that matters anymore. Number two, we need to put the safety of our citizens above any other thing that's going on here. And I would like public officials to ask, I would like to know what rights do I have as a taxpayer in Multnomah County? And as a citizen, what rights do I have? Like, do I have the right to walk down the street and not feel like I'm gonna be assaulted? And they may say the answer is no. Okay, well that's good, but don't tell me that our streets are safe When they're not. Number three, um, my absolute heart goes out to the first responders that we have out there, who I can't even imagine what they're dealing with, and I get it. Like this is not an emergency for them, and which means that they are attending to business. It's far worse. Um, And God bless that police force and those firemen who are and women who are out doing this work, because if this is what's happening to me on 17th and Yamhill. I can't imagine what these people are facing and every single taxpayer should insist that we have a well-funded police and a well-funded first responder network. Um, and that means firemen and that means policemen. Um, and we need to stop dorking around with making sure everybody feels comfortable. We're, we're not there anymore. I would also ask everybody to start to just, you know, channel the 1980s. And if you see something, you know, I don't know, the non-emergency police line or just start paying attention, stop averting your eyes. I know I do it all the time. I I walk by people on the ground all the time and don't even, and I think, am I? can I just step over this person? I mean, it seems so inhumane. It's literally so inhumane. It's just that there's so many of them. Yeah.
0: It is so inhumane, but, there, but if you stopped for everyone, you'd never you'd never get where you need to go. And some of them are so unpredictable. Look at what happened to you for all, you know, this person, somebody could spring up and do what happened yeah. to you and hit you in the head with a hydroflask or whatever.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I guess on the end and on a positive note, I always say being a patient makes you a better doctor. I'm, I haven't been a patient a lot, but now things like PTSD and recovery and concussion, you know, we see, I see patients all the time with these kinds of things. And I don't, like, okay, you know, it's fine. Now I now I fully understand them. So I guess
0: hopefully maybe I'll be a better doctor <laughs> out of all this. Well, your I'm patients going... are lucky because you're already a great doctor. Um, thank you, Mary. And I'm so sorry about what happened to you. And thank you for being so vulnerable and for sharing your this terrible story. And I think this is a it's a warning sign. This this is the canary in the coal mine. It's time.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I, I have been, um, I'm as empathetic as they come. I've supported every single, I mean, I, you want to find me a person who needs something. I'm going to be the first one to show up and give it to them. But I do think the tables have turned. Um, it it's, we, we can't have that approach anymore. Um, we have to get real down and dirty about cleaning up our streets and, and, and the mental health and the drug use issue. I cannot imagine what will happen if this goes longer than a year. We're in July of 2023, July of 2020. Next summer, this cannot look like this. If this continues on this trajectory, I just, and and I don't know much about politics. You and the other gals are going to have to figure that one out. I mean, you're doing such a phenomenal job with these podcasts. I've learned, I've certainly learned a ton about how our city works, which admittedly know very little about, but we, oh, why?
0: Yeah. I didn't know either. That's why I started it. I know. Yeah. 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 But you're doing it. I mean, accountability
1: and changing the course. I think I, I can't imagine we have more than a year. But well, we'll see. yeah, but it's thank really you. your work is so us. important. And if everybody just listens to all of your podcasts, we'd figure out how the city works. Yeah. <laughs> thank One you. of your biggest supporters. All right. You're doing such good work and it's great to see you. I love you. It's good to see you too. Take care. Okay. Love you. Bye.
0: Bye.